of Box Sisters, hosted by Jessica C., Jessica Denise, and Linda. This podcast is an intersectional discussion on all things sex, life, and everything in between. As always, we're talking from our lived experience. If these topics bring anything up for you, we encourage you to talk to a professional. Happy listening! Today we're going to be talking about birth control, and I'm super excited to talk about this because I know that we all kind of have our own experiences around birth control, um, whether it's, you know, hormonal, non-hormonal, whatever way that you do your own family planning. I feel like as a woman, birth control is something that's always going to come up. So definitely excited to talk about that. Um, any initial thoughts on birth control before I give a bit of a history of birth control and where we're at now? So, um, this is Jessica Rose Chapman coming at you. Um, so for me, my experience with birth control has been really interesting. Um, I have endometriosis and for those of you who don't know, to that one listener who's listening, hey mom. (laughs) Um, endometriosis is, um, basically when the, uh, endometrium, which is the lining of your uterus, like the tissue sort of goes to other parts of your body where it shouldn't be. So when you're menstruating or just before menstruation and everybody's endometriosis sort of like manifests in different ways, um, your cramps are so incredibly debilitating that it's like, I mean, like one time I blacked out another time, like anyway, it's, it's really bad. So my experience with birth control has been really interesting because a lot of it has been sort of to to tackle this endometriosis. Um, So yeah, whatever I talk about it today or my opinions are going to be mostly through that lens, just to put it out there. (laughs) Yeah, and this is Jessica Denise Dixon. I have staunchly been anti-hormonal birth control since I was a teenager. Mm. So I remember my mom having conversations about sex and telling me if I wanted to have sex, that she would get me on birth control. And I never wanted that. Hmm. I was always like confused, like if nothing's wrong with my body, why am I putting hormones in it? Hmm. And so even when I was younger, I kind of had this experience and mostly the birth control that I've used is family planning through charting my cycle, nice. um, charting my temperature and my cervical fluid and the rest of the symptoms in my body. Yeah. And I've been doing that since 2022. I've been doing that since 2010. Oh, wow. So for a while now, and it has served me well. Um, but I have a lot of thoughts on birth control in general. And yeah. so I'm excited for this topic. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I guess to share just a little bit, because I know we'll get into it um, more later, but of my relationship with birth control. So I've pretty much been on the pill with the exception of conceiving and having my child. So <laughs> that, that little um, that time period. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been on the birth control pill for about like 16 years now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I got started on it um, when I was in high school. My mom was really similar, um, I think, to to Jessica D. Um, in that, you know, look, let's. I, I last episode I remember I talked a little bit about like just my parents having like a teen pregnancy and you know having to um, deal with all of like the let's not have that happen for you guys and so. But she was very very open about. Um, I think 
sex and, and not not doing it very early on but also like how to avoid getting pregnant like she was she was not you know kind of going into it thinking like oh we're just gonna say don't do it and you're not gonna do it she's like no i'm gonna tell you not to do it and i'm also gonna you know tell you to get birth control and so i really appreciated that about her and i think that we just wanted to take at that time um whatever method i felt would in my head create like the least amount of effects which was a birth control which i mean if, if you're talking about like the science of it obviously it's like a small dosage of hormones mm-hmm. that you're taking daily as opposed to like a device that you have already inside you that has like that like release so i in my head it made sense to do something especially at that age it was okay it's a small dose of like hormones um and also when you're a teenager like all of the quote-unquote perks yeah. of um the birth control pills like you know like acne and you know like it's gonna help you with that and so, so i was like all right yeah like i'm down yeah so yeah definitely something else that you know like i kept in mind at that time and since then it's kind of just worked mm. right so it, I, i've had that but it's also definitely had it's like side effects here and there that i've had to um kind of mitigate for and so knowing that that's like my only real method um, I'm definitely interested to just hear how like other methods have worked for other people or how they have not worked for other people because we hear a lot of horror stories I feel like yeah here and there so I have lots of methods I've used a lot <laughs> so I'm happy to share my experience with them nice um, okay so before we get into it again just like a little bit of history on birth control methods um, so around 3000 BC um, that's in, a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Yes. So Jessica and I both looked at each other. You know, in there. Yeah. Okay. I was also really surprised for some reason. I was like, oh, this is going to be like a modern thing. No, 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 no. Like, they were really trying to not have it. Like, <laughs> I probably like it. back then. So, um, like around 3000 BC. So, ancient societies, um, including Crete and Egypt, begin de- developing condoms. Right. So, yeah. that's the first. Um, birth control method um that starts to get developed and so this is from animal and f- fish bladders or intestines or linen sheets so i think i mean at some point linen almost occurred. Sheets. <laughs> yeah yeah linen sheets a whole, a whole don't think that's gonna work but okay a whole hey maybe girl, it did. in 3000 bc maybe we got some did. limited options <laughs> do you know what though like in 3000 bc like especially egyptian culture they were so evolved so resourceful and it's resourceful true. yeah like yeah. the like like non-binary was like totally standard and like the worship of the feminine and like all of these things that we're struggling with in our own culture to like reconcile with Egyptians like had it down like irrigation (laughs) government anyway (laughs) kind of important but also slavery so like okay there's that too (laughs) but we'll we'll talk about that later (laughs) or not um, okay, so 1850 BC, so now we're getting obviously a little bit further ahead. So Egypt develops one of the first, sper- Egypt again, mm-hmm. coming back at it. Um, one of the first spermicides by, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this, but by combining crocodile dung and fermented dough. Oh dear. But hey, innovation. And you stepped that up your... <clears throat> right, very right. right. The low pH of the dung may have had a spermicidal effect. That's what they're, Ah, you know. I mean, it's logical. Right. But then did people get, like, infections? I mean. Like, you didn't have a baby, but you also died from an infection. (laughs) Yay! We're starting this on a really great note. Yeah. This is a really positive, (laughs) super weird place today. Okay, anyway, keep going. Um, Okay. 
Perfect. 1855, the first rubber condom is produced. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're obviously like 80, right? So right, 1855, right, right. first rubber condoms produced. Um, let's get into a little bit more of birth control. So 1914. Uh, believing that enforced motherhood is the most complete denial of a woman's right to life and liberty, public health public health nurse Margaret Sanger mm. uh, coins the term birth control and begins her decades-long campaign to make contraceptives legal and available to women in America. So not necessarily about birth control in and of itself, but about like the journey of birth mm-hmm. control. That was in 1914. Uh, 1916, Margaret Sanger opens up the first birth control clinic. Um... 1918 in the case of people versus sanger the new york uh, state court of appeals reverses a criminal conviction of margaret sanger ruling that new york's limitations on the distribution of birth control are unconstitutional so obviously we start to get now into kind of like the politics mm-hmm. around birth control mm-hmm. um as early as uh, 19 what was it 1914 was when sanger uh mm-hmm. the term birth control so a couple years now of that uh, let's get into the first birth Do you know control. a fun fact about Margaret Sanger? Yes, please. Two fun facts. One, Margaret Sanger was a huge advocate for eugenics. Eugenics is, like, basically, like, the science of, like, sort of perf- perfect genes and that kind of stuff, for mm-hmm. lack of better words. So she was a huge um, advocate for that. And she also started, like, Margaret Sanger is the OG Planned Parenthood person. Yeah. And after a while, they were like, mm, Planned Parenthood was like, we're going to just, like, kind of maybe, like, not, like, they yeah, really created they separated, between, yeah. yeah, between Margaret Singer. And Margaret Singer is the auntie of the woman who was the inspiration for Wonder Woman. Oh. And she actually, that, because basically Wonder Woman is, like, a whole other rabbit hole we could go down at some point, but I'm sure. the invention of Wonder Woman was started by a, a psychologist who was really into the idea of the polygraph, um, and he was married to a woman, and then they had a third woman come into the relationship, um, and so they were kind of like a poly couple back in the day, and the the third, or sorry, the second woman who was in this relationship was Margaret Singer's niece, and they spent a lot of time in Margaret Singer's apartment in New York, and she was like a huge advocate and supported like their their lives and stuff. So yeah, there's like a connection with Planned Parenthood and Margaret Singer. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say when I hear the name, I'm th- I always think, you know, there's a lot of was was she like really racist? Was she just about? eugenics for people who maybe had like mental or physical disabilities there's so much around that which is ultimately kind of what led to Planned Parenthood being like what is this affiliation and yeah, we, yeah. like what do how affiliated do we really want to be with the name mm-hmm. um, but and also um, there were black people who very much were also in support of this movement right. because black women did not get the same level right. of health care, mm. um, preventative or otherwise, that white women did. So yeah. there were people yeah. who were also, um, you know, on Margaret's side, eugenics um, orientation or not. Um, so anyway, she's, yeah. very, she's a very interesting mm. uh, historical figure. Mm-hmm. Nice. And that's actually new information for me and I super appreciate that because I think I've only known her in the realm of like oh like the birth control mm-hmm. you know like movement but totally. never in like a lot more of that background so definitely good information for me to have 
Um, so 1960, the first oral contraceptive, which is Enovid, um, is approved by the FDA, and it quickly became known as a pill. So 1960s, not in the grand scheme of things that long ago. Yep. But what was that? 40, 20, 62 years 60 ago? 60 something years ago, yeah. Yeah. Younger than my parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Literally my parents' age. <laughs> I have a fun story about that, though. I'll tell you. <laughs> Um, 1965, so the Supreme Court rules in Griswold versus Connecticut that married couples have a constitutional right to privacy that includes the right to use birth control. However, millions of unmarried women are still denied birth control. Yeah. So, so can I put a caveat to that? Yeah. I love telling this story. Whenever I did birth control classes, presentations or whatever, I would tell this story and I've got permission from my mom. So <laughs> when my grandma and thanks, my grandpa, mom. thanks mom, thanks mom, chap, um, when my grandma and grandpa got engaged the week before their wedding, my grandma went to a clinic to get birth control mm-hmm. because she didn't want to have babies right away. And they said, we're really sorry, but unfortunately, because you do not have written permission from oh. your family or whatever, and also because you don't have an actual marriage license, you are not able to get birth control. Mm-hmm. So my grandma got pregnant on her wedding night and had my mom nine months later. <laughs> So there you go. Fun story about how the law affected my family in a very direct way. <laughs> so, oh my yeah, gosh. crazy, right? Yeah. yeah they, and then I think you're going to talk about the next law, right, that said women in general just have the right to obtain birth control. Um, um, I mean, I might if it's in my little timeline. Yeah. <laughs> I'm completely speechless. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? That's why. They said, sorry, you're engaged, but you're not married. Married doesn't mean anything, so you're going to have a baby now. Oh, God. Crazy, right? Yeah. Anyway, okay. Sorry. I'm shook. Yeah, and I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, I have nothing to say. (laughs) And we'll leave that there. (laughs) It's Um, crazy. Yeah. uh, Okay, so 1968 FDA approves IUDs. Mm. Um, So bringing early versions of... um, the I think it's Liposloop and then uh, hmm. Copper Seven to the market, hmm. um, and then after that we get into um, nineteen seventy uh, at well publicized congressional hearings. Feminists challenge the safety of the pill. Hmm. Um, afterwards, hormones in the pill are lowered to a fraction of the original doses. So. Again, 1960, they approved the FDA. Ten years later, they're like, mm, hormone levels probably not that safe. We need to lower them. That's crazy. Right? So it's like they are available, but also like maybe not that great for your health at some point. Yeah. Um, and I'm going through the timeline, but also like skipping over some things. I think I definitely just want to get some highlights. Mm-hmm. But knowing that through all this, obviously, there's a lot of things going on with different. Um, races, different communities, different um, interactions of how birth control, you know, affects um, African-American women specifically. I think one of the ones that I passed is um, had to do with, oh goodness, let me just go back and read it because I'm not going to do it justice unless I read it. Um, And it's before the market center thing. So, 1619 to 1870, black women draw upon African folk 
uh, remedies to create medicines that are shared and spread among enslaved populations to resist coerced reproduction by white men. So mm-hmm. things like that, right? Mm-hmm. That are obviously important within the timeline. Yeah. Um, super nuanced uh, and influences how we are, our relationships today with birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because I'm giving like some of these highlights in the timeline doesn't give like the comprehensive timeline. But I more than anything, just trying to point out, I think right now, the um, times where certain birth control methods came out, just, you know, for context. Um, but keeping in mind that there's just a lot more to the conversation than when the birth control methods come out. There's a lot of politics that have to do with, um, mm. you know, certain um, laws passing about around birth control. Mama chat having to come into this world because grandma chap couldn't get approval for birth control. Um, she didn't have any autonomy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 1991, 1992, FDA approves Norplant, which is the first LARC, so long-acting reversible contraceptive. Um, and it's surgically implanted as a set of small, soft tubes under the skin of the upper arm. So the implant is now one tube. Before, mm-hmm. it was multiple tubes. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, my mom had it at one point. I remember huh. that they had... Um, she she's <laughs> she was on different birth control methods um and per her story got pregnant on every single one of them so that's also that's what my mom to share too. yeah like, but we'll i'm like is it is it the method or is it like the transition between one to the other but, mm. but all right all right mom. um but she i remember her telling me she's like yeah it was like multiple tubes that like got put in and i was oh, like sh- oh that doesn't sound fun yeah. um but now it's one so okay um, and that was not that long ago. So 1991, 1992 is when it was multiple tubes. 31 years ago. 30, yeah, 30, 31 years ago. Um, that made me feel old, so take it back. <laughs> <laughs> like yesterday. <laughs> it was like yesterday. <laughs> was yesterday. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, 1983, the FDA approves the first female condom. 1998 to 1999, the FDA approves the first plan B, uh-huh. which was, I feel like, revolutionary in our sex lives yeah um, we should talk about for maybe. multiple reasons yeah um in the 2000s now there's rapid expansion of method availability so now there's the hormonal patch the nuber ring um what else what else what else what else a new uh type of hormonal iud called marina which is a five-year one versus a copper one which is i think what was it 10 12 years, years? yeah um so the 2000s is now when we're starting to get a little bit more options right um, I just like to pause there and say, Linda just said the two thousands. Okay, yeah, is when we had more options. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of our lifetime, well, actually, yeah. every woman that is sitting in this room, the three of us, i.e. Um, <laughs> and how long have women been or people with uteruses right, mm. right, right. been bearing babies? Millennia, much longer than yeah. two thousands. <laughs> much longer than thirty to twenty-two years. <laughs> oh my gosh. The the FDA approves over-the-counter sales of Plan B to people under the age of 18. So this is less than 10 years ago. Yeah. Right? Um, Which people still don't know of, by the way. You can get Plan B over-the-counter regardless of your age or your sexual orientation or your gender at any drugstore. However, um, there's the Plan B, which is the uh, non-generic, right? So like the labeled brand or whatever. That costs anywhere between, I haven't checked it recently, but it's somewhere between like 30 to $60. Right. 
But then there's also CVS, Walgreens, uh, Rite Aid. They all have their own generic now. Mm-hmm. So if you want, if you or your partner are looking to purchase Plan B, um, just know that there are generic options available to you. And when you ask for Plan B, a lot of times because staff don't understand, like they're not going to be able to delineate, like, oh, do you want the generic or not? Right. Um, just make sure to say like, Hey, I want the generic plan B and they'll give it to you. And then that's usually somewhere between like 15 and like 30 bucks, which is like way more reasonable. Or you can go to Planned Parenthood or any, um, federally qualified health center and get it for free. So just putting it out there and we can put that in the notes too. Yeah. If anybody wants information. No, a hundred percent. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was, um, probably as like a teenager one of the most like important pieces of information that i received from others right word of mouth of like okay how do i get birth mm-hmm. control or how do i get plan b mm-hmm. or how do i get it without having to pay because at 14 15 16 17 with no jobs 50 dollars is a hefty uh, or yeah. even like 30 bucks right so, you know right right right, right, right. You yeah. can ask your parents and they'll wonder where it's going. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why do you need $50? Um, because gas costs a lot of money. <laughs> um, you need 80 for that. So in terms of the like super quick history, um, that's kind of where it's... The, I don't think there's been any necessarily like new developments of birth control. Mm-hmm. There is on the horizon, and this is something that maybe we can start talking about this, but um, potentially some birth control methods for men mm. now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if we want to do Biological like men. Right, 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 right. Um, so 3000 BC, there's condoms. And then <laughs> at one point, there's there's like the actual, you know, non-dung-based um, <laughs> condoms that are created. Yeah. And then after that, it's just a whole bunch of uh, birth control methods for women, right? Mm. Which is great, but, you know, some of them need to maybe be reassessed for safety. Some of them have some real strong side effects. And then now, I don't know what you guys have heard, but what the two that I have heard is there's um, potential um, birth control methods now leading to develop for men. One of them being, and this one I had heard maybe like two years back, like a, like a gel situation for their I think back. we talked about it yeah. when we were working together. Yeah, 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 like a gel situation for their back, which... Uh, I have very strong feelings about because I think that is I mean when you think about just like the birth control methods that we're talking about right now right so it's like the IUD Mm -hmm. right so it's very invasive (laughs) they you know place this foreign device inside of your uterus you're gonna have some cramping it's not gonna be comfortable Uh you may or may not have certain reactions to it like Mm -hmm. I know I just talked to somebody not that long ago that's like oh I had to get it taken out because I was having like really strong like discharge oh just like a lot of discomfort she's like and I really try to stick to it and I'm thinking she's going to tell me, like, oh, three months. She's like, you know, I did it for a year. I'm like, girl, oof. you dealt with, like, yeah. discharge and discomfort and all these things for a year. Yeah. Right. From 90, right. There's, like, these multiple tubes we're sticking in our arms. There's, you know, hormones we're taking orally on a daily basis. Never, same time, every day, can't forget. <laughs> but men get, like, a back massage. Well, I just remember years ago when they were starting to develop this thing for men and they stopped because men were having the same issues that women Mm -hmm. were like with like stroke and all of these other (laughs) issues and they were like 
Like the side yeah, too much. Doing, going through that. So, <laughs> so like, welcome. So yeah. Right. So you're stopping it because of that. Yeah. Have you and, given women a better option? Yeah, yeah. And let me just point out, like, the reason why women are using birth control methods is so that a guy can come inside of her. That's it. That's the whole reason. A man just really, really wants to come, you know? And so, again, it's, like, in service to their pleasure. Yeah. No, thank you. It's, it can be in service to the women's pleasure Yes, as well. you're right. You're right. But I'm just, like, why can't, like, there be a way to, like, reduce, I don't know, their sperm or whatever it is so that, like, if they do want to do that. Yes. Right. I don't know, whatever. I just have, like, a lot of issues with this whole, like, I'm going to come inside of you kind of thing. Like, yeah. going out in the dating world is, like, super weird and just yeah. bizarre. Anyway. Well, and I think that that's, like, the other part of it, too, is, like, ultimately it's, like, the onus is on the women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? To be able to... Make sure, like, you don't get pregnant. Not, like, let me not impregnate you. Right. Right? There's that narrative. Which is, yeah, that's just, that's a societal mm-hmm. issue that I think is really problematic. Is that yeah. the woman is the sole one responsible. Right. And and to your, both your points, I mean, I think there is, like, especially, this is something like Jessica and I actually talked about a yeah. while back ago, was, like, Boomer women get really, really upset when you t- start saying bad things about birth control. Oh, because yeah. for them, especially, like, white women, okay, we're talking about, like, white, white boomer women. Right. Because for them, it was liberation, right? Yeah. It was a way for them gotcha. to break free from, you know, shotgun weddings and yeah. loveless marriages and to yeah. freely express their sexuality and blah, blah, blah. And to climb the ladder. And climb the, it gave yeah. them opportunities to... Um, actually, like, move forward in their careers in the way that women of color, it did not give women of color the same opportunities. Yeah. It let white women perpetuate male, like, goals and patriarchal sort of, like, ways of white male um, ways of succeeding in the corporate world. So, yeah, yeah I, can, I can see the benefit for that, right? But it's not addressing the core or the root injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's still, to this day, like, there's there's barriers to access for women of color. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, and people who live in rural communities. Um, anyway, yeah. So that's like a whole other rabbit hole. But yeah, I mean, because if we can talk about poverty for a second, yeah, mm-hmm. and who even with the the legislation that's trying to be passed or that has been passed, it is about you know who whether women can get abortions or not. Oh yeah. Um, Every barrier is going to impact people who are not wealthy. Right. Mm-hmm. The most. Mm-hmm. Period. And I think that that's why these male legislators, like, they'll just fund whomever's to go wherever <laughs> or, to, or to get or just to pay off the doctor because they have the money to. Right. Who's going to just be able to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Like. And it's, it's so, like, wealth matters in the conversation mm-hmm. yes. of mm-hmm. birth control and how much it costs and whether it is something that is accessible and what forms of it are most accessible. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. And also, I think we can talk about, like, birth control in many different ways, and I'm sure we will. Yeah. But I think what is beneficial about birth control for people especially LARCs, long-lasting reversible contraceptives, mm-hmm. is that it is a source of um, 
safety and freedom for some people yeah. who are in abusive relationships yep. or who maybe live with their parents who don't approve of it. Um, it, it is, there is an, uh, a certain level of freedom in having access to that long-lasting reversible contraceptive and, and safety as well. But again, it's about access and it's about continual access and what's funded by the government and what's not funded by the government, you know, because realistically, like Jessica was saying, the wealthy white men are going to go to their fancy clinics or go wherever they need to go and wealthy white women um, to take care of their sexual health needs because they will always have that privilege to, well, money will give them that privilege to do that. Whereas, um, you know, people of color, they, they rely on clinics like same as your health, like Planned Parenthood, to provide that basic necessity. And let's be honest, uh, Linda and I have definitely been through the merry-go-round, as it were, of uh, funding. It's it's yeah. the least sexy funding, even now in 2022. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, you know, talking about a pie chart, birth control and <laughs> reproductive health services get, like, something really offensive which is like 0.3% of the overall public health budget so anyway that's just another aside but that's another piece of poverty so I think the other thing is people say like oh well if you just pull yourself out of poverty (laughs) then X and it's like well but how does one pull themselves out of poverty there's actually a really interesting like study from the free economics game uh, folks and when I heard it at first, I was like, cool. But then I thought about it and I was like, wow, that's actually like steeped in a shit ton of racism. So basically in the 90s, everybody was like super scared. Well, actually, let's rewind back. 70s and 80s, everybody started getting on this bandwagon about how there's going to be increased violence and criminal behavior and blah, 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 blah. We need to have more policing in the U.S. and it needs to be increased and da, da, da. The 90s roll around, and when everybody thought that we were going to have this, like, huge influx, like, it was going to, we were talking about Batman today, it was going to be, like, Gotham City, completely lawless, (laughs) everybody spray-painting the walls, and whatever, and then people like um, Giuliani, and um, even maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger, like, all these mayors were saying, like, look how great I did in preventing all this violence, and how great I did in preventing all this crime in the cities. But actually, if you look back to the age that a person would have been in the 90s to perpetuate that violence, it was, some would say, Roe versus Wade that prevented those babies from being born that then reduced the amount of crime. So it wasn't about the programs. It wasn't about increased policing or whatever. It was about women being able to have bodily autonomy. Yeah. And I thought that was really interesting. But then if you flip that on the other side, it's also creating that, perpetuating that same narrative that, like, black women and Latinx women inherently are bad and don't deserve to have children, right? right? And so then it comes into this whole other discussion about, like, so basically what you're saying is, like, people of color are criminals, right? And it's because they were able to have abortions, that that prevented more, them making more criminals. And so there's, like, this whole other side to the coin. It's like, yes, and, right? Like, women right, had right, bodily right. autonomy, but also we're placing, continuing to perpetuate this narrative. So, anyway, it's just something, like, really interesting to think about, too. Yeah. But I also think that, that like, it speaks to 
just the the concept of birth control like it's it's yes and right like yes mm. birth control absolutely provides you know us with the ability to to some degree right decide if and when we're ready to have children mm-hmm. you know if and when um we um or you know for those of us that maybe take it for other reasons you know for mm-hmm. you, there's some people that i know are hormonal um birth control methods because of you know maybe like some, a health related condition that helps um it's addressed by by the birth control and so i think that it's it's yes and like yes Mm -hmm. it does all of these things and also right Mm -hmm. there's this whole like plethora of other things that come with birth control including whether it's the physical right the side effects Mm -hmm. the things that we're having to deal with um whether it's like the political you know how much impact does like bills that are passed or you know certain pharmaceutical companies right. that are like able to you know kind of dictate the the landscape of birth control based on the money that they have um how culture and race also impacts the relationship that you can or can't have with birth control so i think that it's all again very very i know i, I mentioned this earlier like it's very nuanced the history of it's very nuanced the current of it is very nuanced um yeah i <laughs> there's a lot to this and i yeah. think that my brain's just like trying to not necessarily make sense out of it because i don't think that there's a like the goal isn't to make sense out of it but there's just a lot of things that we all each feel about it based on what our kind of history of it is yeah. with ourselves or even with our families right like Two out of three of us have already kind of mentioned like how it's impacted our mothers, our grandmothers, mm-hmm. right? And so how those narratives mm-hmm. kind of you know continue on through our generations and like how we feel about it now. Because I, in all honesty, like I have a very positive connotation of birth control because of what it's helped me do to avoid mistakes of like my past. Mm. You know, interesting, right? So it's like. I know that there's a lot of um, things that happened to the matriarchs in my family in a negative way mm-hmm. because they had children um, when they were like working in the fields, right? When they were first coming to the U.S. and they're having to do all of that. So what they were able to not do by having children or like the barriers that it created for them because it's like, well, now you're not just a worker. Right. right it's like now you've you've given me this burden of like no now you're pregnant like what are you gonna do work in the field while you're pregnant and that's exactly what they did liability. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right 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 wow. and so like and then like that you know coming now to like the um generation of my mother right like yes absolutely there was birth control so maybe there were have been more of us <laughs> potentially yeah. but now like you know it, there was a little bit of um like I think, for lack of a better term, like help that birth control was able to provide yeah. to not, you know, have mm-hmm. it be that big of a Mexican family. Um, <laughs> we, got, we got a lot of those. <laughs> and I say this as a Mexican and I'm okay with this. Um, yes. <laughs> and then now, like, my, my generation, right, which I know, I, and it might just be maybe, like, the people that I surround myself with, but we really aren't trying to have, like, the <laughs> baseball team amounts of children 
that they used to aim for, yeah. you know? Like, we're not trying to have the soccer team. We're not none of that. Like, we may be, like, if if we even want to have children, right? Because mm-hmm. that's another thing within my generation. It's, like, some of us are just, like, no. Mm-hmm. And I think for a while, there, I was in that same boat, you know? Obviously, changed my mind. But um, still, like, keeping in mind, like, I have this different plan for my life than maybe like the past matriarchs in my family did Mm. um and it means having significantly less children and i think the opportunity you know that i have to do that to be able to access birth control and that giving me the possibility because otherwise Mm. you know my life looks significantly different and not in a way that i want it to look different yeah Hearing you say that is really, really sweet. It's really, really sweet. Um, Knowing that we don't have to be stuck in an old paradigm. Yeah. That we can, that we can choose, Mm -hmm. you know, that we have agency. um, It's a really, really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And to know that we don't have to do things and without like judging those old ways as right. bad or right, demonizing right. them because of all the kids. You know, I know, you know, back in the day when people were running farms, you had kids so they could work the farm. Yeah. So they could work the fields. So yeah. it was like a you know you you need you need the bodies. Yeah. So, right. yeah. so but who who also gets stuck with the burden of burying all those right. bodies right. and you know, is there is there really the care for those women? Who, who had to do that. I know of plenty of women who bore lots of kids because they needed them to work the fields, but right. they suffered. Yeah. And so knowing that you can maybe now choose, yeah. you know, that I do want the family, I do want the kids, mm-hmm. and I have greater, you know, these greater ambitions for myself and maybe um, the survival of my ancestors allowed for them to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really beautiful to live into that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I know that there's often still cultural pushback sometimes. Oh, yeah. 100%. And can you guys talk about that a little bit more, about what cultural pushback looks like or what you've experienced in cultural pushback? Yeah. I can if you... Yeah. So I know for me, as well as a Hispanic woman, it's been... So since my partner and I got married, like a constant question, like, when are you guys having kids? When are you guys having kids? When are you guys having kids? When are the kids coming? The kids come today? You know, like, it's just a constant, 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 constant. And so keep in mind, so we've been married now for, it's going to be six years. Um, And like, just from year, so that was back in 2016. And then we got pregnant in 2020 Mm -hmm. with pandemic. Yeah. So four years of like every single family reunion, like kids, kids, you know, and that whole time it was again, like tying it back to birth control, like just very appreciative for my film, you know, (laughs) because I, yeah. And I guess like to even to share a little bit more is like, I grew up as the older sibling of, Mm -hmm. you know, four or four total and I had a big hand in raising them. And so I was very like, I was convinced like, I'm good. Like, I, you know, like, I had a big hand in raising children already. I know, you know, what goes into this mess. Mm -hmm. Like, right. And and I, for a while there, was like, it's not for me. Like, Mm -hmm. I I really did think I was like, you know what? It's not for me. And then I realized, okay, it's right now. Right now, it's not for me. Right. Like, there's a lot of things I wanted to do. 
you know, in terms of education, in terms of my career. And I, I really just, you know, I, I, I was, I felt content in the role that I had and still have with my siblings. Because some of them are significantly younger than I am. Um, like the youngest one, it's a 17 year age difference. So mm-hmm. like I literally, I was an adult. Wow. Yeah. 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 I was an adult when um, my little brother came along and I, you know, felt like, no, like I've done the kid thing. Yeah. Like I'm good, you know? And then when it was time, you know, for my partner and I to try and we realized, okay, like this is like the next step that we want to take in our relationship. Um, and having that child, like there were already questions of like, when is the next child? Wow. Right. Because that's culturally what we do. Mm. Like in, in a lot of Mexican households, it's, it's very rare that you're only going to see one child. Very, very rare. Like it's always about like, Oh, you know, the mom, you know, the siblings, the stay at home mom Mm. that, you know, takes care of the siblings and just like all of these conversations and all these expectations that were not for me. And it's, and I say that, and it's, it's a little bit hard for me to say it without having a lot of like feelings about it because you come to such an impasse of like, am I not doing like my family proud with everything else Mm. that I'm doing, like with my education, with my career, with like the support that I'm providing? Like, do I have to be like a mother for them to value me as a woman? Wow. You know, and like it it really, it's, it's a lot, Mm -hmm. it's a lot to, to process. And so again, like we had to make sure that the decision to have a child was ours and ours only, Mm -hmm. and to really not let like all these outside voices influence that. Cause I think that we would have had a very resentful relationship, whether it's with ourselves or with our child, Mm -hmm. if we would have had someone else make that decision for us. And to be honest with you now, again, culturally right everyone's like oh well you can't just have one you can <laughs> so it's it's still here right um my daughter's a year and a half and again for the year and a half it's been you know, it's an one. and i you know have so much respect for my mom because i think that one of the other things that birth controls enable me to do is to not have another child's yet or so quickly after because yeah. i had really bad postpartum anxiety Mm-hmm. I had terrible, terrible postpartum anxiety, did not know what it was for a couple months. So I felt, you know, and I don't want to, you know, use the term lightly, but I felt crazy. Yeah. Right. Like I felt like something's off. This is not me. Is this how I'm supposed to feel? Like, is this how women feel every time that they give birth? Like, is this really what I'm supposed to expect anytime I have a child? Why do people have seven to nine of these? Yeah. <laughs> if this is how they feel. Like, I really did think this is how a woman feels every time they give birth. This is trash. Mm. This is how how the kids say these days. This is for the birds. Like, this is for yeah. the birds. <laughs> Can we also talk about yeah. historically that women's feelings did not matter right. when they had kids? Right. Yeah, so all the women who were experiencing that Ooh. felt like they were going crazy. It did not matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And now women get the chance to say our feelings and our experience matter matters oh, yeah. and that yeah. is one of the most significant changes and yeah. one of the biggest things that i think yeah is like a big gift of hormonal birth control or yeah. all forms of birth control yeah. that women can choose and say like no, no my experience of this is as important as yes. the kid that i'm bringing into this right. life right oh my gosh we should we we need to have a whole episode just about pregnancy because i think yeah. you shared with me a lot yeah. of really interesting stories yeah about 
this idea that Jessica just brought up, which is like, even now, people treat women like they are the vessel right. for this. Life. Well, like an incubator. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, I, and, they, and you had no bodily. You, I remember yeah. you telling me, like, at certain points, you felt like you had no bodily autonomy because yeah. people would just touch your belly. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. and this was during COVID, by the way. So oh, I just want to say oh, that I got like a 10%. Yeah. I got maybe, I want to say like 10% of that. Yeah. I feel for any single woman that had a pregnancy outside or before COVID. Yeah. And people that just works. like thought that it was cute to come into, oh no. Like, hi, I'm an existing human person. Right. But anyway, yeah. that's a whole other discussion. It is. Another it time, is. It but is. it's the same. Yeah. No, 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 it is. It, it, it's related, but also, again, like, coming back to birth control, right? It's like, I'm so appreciative for, A, it giving me the opportunity to have children when I was ready, mm-hmm. not when the culture told me that I needed to, because mm-hmm. if it was up to them, shit would happen years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's one. Or that it would have been, like, every year as of when I got married. So <laughs> right. <laughs> Solid, no space. <laughs> just like, boom, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. yeah, and also for the opportunity that it's giving me now to be able to, like, process my postpartum anxiety. Yeah. talk to a therapist about how I felt yeah talk to my partner about is this something we want to sign up for to do again without me having to worry of let like I'm pregnant now you know like no 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 like too bad right right like there's an opportunity for me to put a pause in that and really like think and talk and you know again like process me wanting to either have or not have another child because that first one was, you know, like not a walk in the park, not a walk in the park. And so I'm just so appreciative of the fact that I'm able to do that. I'm able to take birth control now, put a pause on it. And when I'm ready again, and another, you know, part of that too, is this is when I'm ready, not mm. culturally, whenever it's like, well, you know, two years is a big, I don't want to hear stair step. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is not how it, not how it works. Because guess what? If I have a kid now and mom's not great, it ain't going to matter how far apart That's they right. are. Like, that kid's going to end up getting the brunt of my emotions, mm-hmm. you know? So whether it's, like, two, four, five years apart, like, as long as I'm feeling like I'm in a place where this is what's best for me, then, like, that kid will be fine. Because right. they'll have a mom that actually is, you know wants them wants them as part of their life and is ready for them and i thank birth control for being able to do that for me because otherwise like it, it the the landscape would have looked very differently mm-hmm. yeah. very differently or if there is no second child which i know like the you know older mexican my great grandma's she's turning in her grade no second child yeah like she's <laughs> losing it right now but like, dude, this isn't <laughs> this ain't fun sometimes, you know. And again, like, very being very mindful that I have that option. That maybe, like, if like who knows? Like, I you know my great grandma's not here anymore, and I talk about her a lot because she's the one that primarily like she was the one that worked in the field. She like was a matriarch for the family. She's the one that you know kind of set our, the stage for us to even be here. She's the one, the first one that came to the states. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, just thinking about like. I never got to ask her, like, what was her... Because she actually... What's crazy, she actually only had two... Well, living children. She had two two children, right? Okay. And I know that there's, like, something around birth control there. Because I remember that there was a story that, you know, got passed on about, like, her, like, copper IUD getting, I think, like, implanted in her uterus. And it not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, like... I think that's what maybe affected, like, her ability to have more children. Um, 
and like me not knowing how that experience was for her in terms of having children like working in the fields doing all of this stuff like how differently would her life have looked mm-hmm. had she had like access to different yeah. you know methods or you know like did she even want children or did she just have them because you know it was something That's what you yeah. Do. yeah 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 back in the day you really couldn't even get an IUD before you um before you were pregnant because they didn't like it because they were like having to dig into your cervix your cervix and that's a more recent thing that women who have yeah. not had kids are able to get that which i think is i think it's a pretty significant stride yeah. um and an important one as well mm-hmm. so i just wanted to say that when it's still a super hot topic by the way i remember when we used to work at the clinic um there was rumors of certain providers just being really hesitant to put in IUDs in um, women that didn't have children because obviously their cervix hadn't dilated and it's like oh it's gonna cramp but it's like wait 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 like is there a reason legally why they can't well no is there a reason health-wise like is there something Mm -hmm. no oh so it's just your preference yeah like, is it because it's inconvenient for you <laughs> to just do a little bit of more work with the dilation? Like, what's, you know? Yeah. So even though the options are there, right? The other, like, I think the theme that we've been having, right? Like, yes, and. Yeah. The options are there, and yet they're still. Providing even in a state like California, where we were in a clinic, that mm-hmm. we were able to give birth control where it was covered by here, what's known as family pact, mm-hmm. right? in a place that is supposed to be sex positive because we yep. were in a teen clinic right that we you know this mm-hmm. like there was still some pushback yeah. about oh yes you can have a method but no not that one girl <laughs> right because i decided it's not good right for you. right yeah right 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 hmm. it's so interesting um so i know that we've talked i think about a couple of things right so history of birth control a little bit of the politics that are involved in it some of the cultural things that we interact with when it comes to birth control um let's talk i know our uh, last episode talked a little bit about like just like well not just like we talked about pleasure <laughs> yeah. we did. um yes and so a little bit of like the side effects of birth control maybe that we've mm-hmm. like heard of experience however you want to share mm-hmm. um and its effects on like your sex drive and pleasure because i think this is something that some people sometimes don't realize is a thing yeah. and i guess by some people i'm talking about some you know for the majority of the people that haven't used birth control mm-hmm. people or anyone that's a male you know um <laughs> yeah Anybody with a penis penis that doesn't know about, you know, like, hey, this has a pretty big impact on, like, how I feel and even, like, my hormone levels, like, my biology now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, let me know what you guys' thoughts are on that. Well, a few things popped up. One is um, how um, it changes hormonal birth control can impact breast size. It can impact the size of your clitoris. Hmm. Um, it, it can shrink actually the size of your clitoris when you're on it. Um, it impacts, you know, like your vaginal secretions and yes. how, like, wet, you know, for, for lack of a better word, that you are, that you get. Um, also, the the most interesting thing about hormonal birth control for me 
is the way that it changes attraction. Mm, yeah. And how, you know, sometimes people have the experience that when they're on hormonal birth control, they're really attracted to someone. And then maybe they're trying to have kids and they get off and they find themselves not attracted to their partner anymore. <laughs> Interesting. Because of the way that the pheromones work with these hormonal changes that have been in their bodies. So those are the kind of like the things that have come up to me around that I just think are like very, very fascinating around birth control. How interesting. I did. So in high school, I was really fascinated with this study in biology where um, they talked about like face symmetry and like sort of just like essentially it was like a little like study of eugenics in a way of like what's the most desirable like face structure and like what is this um, like face symmetry look like and who's the most beautiful person in the world and apparently it's Halle Berry although that might have changed in the last I don't know man. 20 years yeah. <laughs> she can wear she can wear she's like what almost 60 she's gorgeous yeah I mean any age but just yeah. beautiful yeah um but anyway and they were they did a study of um strippers and the strip they had a control group uh, so they had one control group and then they had two other groups. One of them was not taking any hormonal birth control. The other one was taking hormonal birth control. So the folks with the hormonal birth control typically tended to get across the board, like same tips, same everything, right? The women who were not on hormonal birth control and weren't taking any birth control at all during their ovulation phase, they were, their hormones or whatever caused them to maybe be more attractive or maybe just because of the the hormonal energy that they had or whatever their tips were huge you saw a huge spike when they were ovulating and then went down um when they weren't oh that's so, so interesting. I think it's so interesting just like science literally tells us that like our bodies communicate with one another without us even really truly being aware of it and i've noticed and so like for I'm, i had mentioned about yeah. my endometriosis i think this is a good time to talk about it so for me pleasure sexual pleasure has been challenging especially at different times in my cycle um because people with endometriosis tend to experience pain during sex mm-hmm. and some people are like oh pain during sex like what is that like you know oh it just means like oh kind of hurt oh no 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 it literally feels like it's about a, like two or three days before I have my period. It feels like, um, God, how do I, there's no other way to put it. When you're having, when I'm having intercourse, it feels like someone is punching my cervix. And if you don't know what that feels like, it sort of feels like if someone had like, I literally don't even know how to explain it. It's like if someone puts like a really big tampon inside of your vagina and then just like shoves it without any lubrication just up against your, and it just, it's, it's like pain that I've never, like, and it's shocking. Like, like you go, like, because it just, it comes out of nowhere. And so that for me has been a huge hindrance on my pleasure because I love to have sex. Which also is like a super controversial thing to say. Right, right. Speaking of family lineage, right? Like, there's a lot of shame in my family wrapped around sex and sexuality. And my my grandmother on my mom's side, and, and probably on my dad's side too, like, sex was only a means to have children. That's right. it. There was no other, there's no pleasure involved. Right. So to even for me to say, 
two generations on that I enjoy sex and sex is pleasurable for me. It's like a huge deal. And you want it to remain that way. Right. And I want it to remain that way. And so I started my journey with hormonal birth control when I was 20, which is pretty late in comparison to the rest of my peers who started taking the pill. And that's like, everybody took the pill in high school. I was like, the only few people who didn't take the pill. Um, and so I started with the Nuva ring, which is a ring that's inserted vaginally um, for three weeks, and then it's taken out at the end of the third week to have a period. But when you're on your period during that time, you didn't ovulate, so there is blood, but it's not like a normal natural cycle. A lot of people think, oh, I need to have a period, and that that somehow is mimicking your natural cycle, but it's not. It's called breakthrough bleeding, but it's not a real period. Yeah, it's a breakthrough bleed that you get once a month. Um, And so women tend to like that, or biological women tend to like that, because it reassures them in some degree. But just know that that's not like an actual period. Um, So I had that for two or three years. Then I stopped using it. I don't know why. I think I just was like, meh. Like, I'm not really having sex anymore. I don't really need it. You know, that kind of thing, which is problematic within itself. But whatever. That's a story for another time. And so I stopped taking it. And then um, I did the Mirena IUD. Um, Oh, that's why I stopped taking it. Because it didn't change... The NuvaRing did not change my symptoms. Mm-hmm. The NuvaRing just delayed the heavy bleed for that last month. And then they told me, well, you can keep it in and then just put a new one in without actually having a period. So I did that, but then I started getting migraines. I started getting cysts. I started getting all of these other things because my body was like, damn you. Like, I've got all this stuff <laughs> in your uterus. I need to get it out. Um, so I did the Mirena, and... Um, which is an IUD, and it was good um, until it wasn't, and I got cysts in my ovaries um, pretty regularly. I would say I'd get one, like, every other month. Um, Those are painful when they pop. So painful. So painful. Like, multiple times in and out of the urgent care, emergency room, all of that impacts your pleasure. All of that impacts your ability to connect with your partner because your partner's worried about how you're feeling. I got reoccurring hope that your partner Yes. I got reoccurring UTIs, urinary tract infections. I got all sorts of different things just because we were just not happy down there. And the doctors kept telling me that it was normal. It was normal to get this. this. So like what you were saying about your friend dealing with this for a year, I dealt with this for two and a half years. And at, or maybe at three years actually, yeah, three years. And then I came back to the States because I was in England for, for three and a half years. I came back to the States and I was like, I'm getting this out. And I remember the doctors telling me that this is the only thing that's going to help you with your endometriosis. I was like, surely this can't be the only solution, right? Like, there's got to be something better. So then I stopped using any form of birth control for a couple years and just dealt with the cramps. And I was in and out of the gynecologist telling them, I'm having pain during sex. I'm having migraines. I'm having really heavy bleeding. I'm feeling like I'm going to pass out. I'm really lightheaded. Da, 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 da. And they just kept saying, let's just do more birth control, more birth control, more birth control. And again, I'm not saying that this is an experience for every woman right. that has endo. Um, it's just my experience. I can only speak on behalf of mine. And please go to your doctor and like have these discussions yes. and yes. also do your research. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so... I, I actually basically was having unprotected sex. I, just, I tracked my cycle a little bit with what Jessica was talking about. It's called Natural Family Planning. Um, and there's a, there's a couple apps, MyFlow, um, 
There's another one. I forget what it's called. Oh, there are There's a, a lot bunch of apps. Yeah. There are a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you can do the basal body temperature, and then you can track that on the app, and then you can also do um, cervical yeah. mucus and stuff. But it requires you to be diligent with it and, right. and you know, doing it every single day and making sure that you're on top of it. And then not only that, but to listen to your body and to kind of feel where you're at in your cycle. And I got a little disconnected from that and I actually wound up getting pregnant and I, I had an abortion um, when I was 30. Um, and so they gave me the Skyla. And I have to say, post-abortion during Skyla was the best year of my period of my life. Oh, wow. Really? And it was because when you get a medical abortion, not a... What taking the oral pill, but we right. get a medical abortion. Um, they clear out everything in your uterus. It's almost as if you have given birth. It's a DNC. So it's right, a DNC. Right. So um, so basically, what they did, the procedure they did, they emptied everything out, and it was great. Like I had the best periods wow. ever. I didn't even have a period for like a year or two, and I was like, "This is awesome! Like this is the best! This is great!" And I thought, wow, this is a really good solution for me. You know, it helps a lot. I still had the occasional cyst, but it wasn't bad. And it was just kind of like there, but it wasn't, you know, too much of an issue. Um, And then, you know, the Mirena, or sorry, the Skyla was only three years. It's been taken off the market now. They just have. um, I didn't know that. Yeah, they just have Mirena. And then what's the other one called? Lyletta. Not Lyletta. Uh-huh. Is it Lyletta? Uh-huh. Okay. Lyletta is the five-year smaller one, right? Yes. Yeah. So then they only have that now. They've discontinued the Skyla because they thought, well, Lyletta is the same. Yeah. So why don't we just have Lyletta and Skyla? Lyletta and Marina. Marina, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, so I got the Lyletta, and um, for six months, I bled pretty consistently. Oh, girl. Because, apparently, my uterus had expelled it, and it was in the lower quadrant of my uterus. And when we had people coming into the clinic, Linda and I would always counsel people and say, give it six months to catch into your system. It takes a while. Yeah, because when you're trained to be a sexual health educator, that's kind of like thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there with my sexual health education knowledge thinking, okay, well, I'm just having these bleeds, but it's fine, and it'll go away eventually. And then after six months of just feeling exhausted all the time, right. having, like, no iron, no nothing, like, just feeling totally shitty. They were like, yeah, we got to take that out. And then they're like, okay, so you want another one? And I'm like, why the hell would I want another one? <laughs> so since then, I have not used any form of hormonal birth control. It has been a journey. It has affected my pleasure. It has affected my relationships with my partners. It has... It, it's huge and it's in the shadows and people don't talk about it. So yeah. mm-hmm. I guess to wrap up my story, know that endometriosis is a chronic disease and we are going to talk about chronic diseases and the yeah. intersection of, of sexual sex and sexuality eventually. So know that it's a chronic disease, that it is manageable. Some people do find that birth control is the way to manage that, but there are other resources available. And my favorite thing was last year, this past Christmas, so right before Christmas, I got COVID. Well, like a couple of days before that, I went because that I was not your favorite. That was not my favorite. not the COVID. No, my favorite <laughs> thing was I went to see the OB after waiting four months to see them, um, and they gave me this like injection, which is basically like a numbing injection. I forget what it's called. I'll put it in the show notes. But um, and so I was like, 
okay, I guess, like, this is the only option. But the doctor, a male, um, told me that the best way to deal with endometriosis is to just have a baby. Oh. And I just looked at him, and I was like, why? Like, I was like, I was like, I, I appreciate that that's, like, your understanding. But, like, great, yeah, sure, I'll just have a baby. Oh, and by the way, I'm making nothing, and I have no partner to support me, and blah, blah, like, all these different just things. Raise like, that child. Sure, just so that I can have no endometriosis symptoms for, for a year. Like, oh, know. so it's not even it's like not forever. Even, no, 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 it's just a, it's a, a, year. a quick fix. Yeah. So just like have one every year. Right, have one every year until you hit menopause, and then we'll just <laughs> do a history. That's why I started looking for gynecologists who were either midwives or had some kind of other. Yeah. Because this is like, man, sometimes they just say the dumbest, <laughs> right? The dumbest things. My goodness. I just... Oh, it, it was, it's called trigger point therapy, for those of you who are interested. So it's a, a, a very long needle that they inject into the places that you're feeling pain during your period. And it's supposed to, over like a four or five months period, like ease the symptoms greatly because they can't... In my case, they can't really see where the endometriosis tissue is with the ultrasound. So they just sort of like trigger point therapy of like, oh, here's some pain management. Wow. Yeah, so all of this is to say, like, oh. endometriosis has massively affected my pleasure, my sexuality. I think your ability to engage with birth control. Because yeah. it just yeah. works so differently with different methods. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, and it, I wish for my case that birth control was the solution. Right. But every time I see an OB, GYN, their solution is to go on birth control. And every time I do it, I keep thinking and hoping that it will be right, different right. and it's not um so yeah it has and i think that having access is very important and yeah i often find or in my experience offering or thinking that i should go on birth control was like the first thing are you having this issue go on birth control mm, and i remember yeah. when i was living in florida I started skipping my periods. I wasn't, this is what actually got me to start tracking my cycles. Cause I wouldn't have a period for six months, nine months at a time. Like, and I've always been fairly on like a 28 day. Right. right. So like I've been like the standard cycle. That was me mm. or even smaller, sometimes between 23 and 28 days. Mm-hmm. And so not having a period for that long of a time, I was like concerned. Right. So I went of course. and they were like, uh, lose weight great <laughs> and I'm like okay but I've been fatter and I still had a period so, so and weight is the only thing yeah. that I don't I mm-hmm. that's that's hard for me to believe yeah um and then the other thing was okay we'll just put you on birth control I'm like tell me what that's solving yeah right. like I just want to know what that's solving mm. and I never got an answer because it's not yeah the issue was actually that I was living in an apartment with mold <gasps> oh when I moved out of that apartment, within three three months, I got my regular cycle back. No way. My body just, whoop. But there were no additional questions. There was no additional curiosity. Yeah. It was lose weight, birth control. That's it. Wow. And I can imagine maybe that I went on birth control and started having, like, a breakthrough bleed, thinking that I was, like, having a period. And not even recognizing or being able to take care of my body in a way that said like, maybe I should detox from this mold mm. because my cycle's back now, you know? Wow. Crazy. So, That's so crazy. yeah, I'm grateful for the access and 
I do wish that sometimes service providers were a little bit more curious yeah. and more innovative. Yes. 100%. Yeah. More than again, like focusing in holistic. Well, when you think about how the lack of innovation over time, it makes sense that they wouldn't be. Yeah. Like, how long did it take for different these different methods yeah. of birth control to actually be available? Like, yeah. Yeah. it was thousands of years in between, you know, certain things happening. So. Yeah. Well, and and to go back in like relatively recent history, Margaret Sanger was arrested multiple times, and the original Planned Parenthood clinic in Brooklyn was closed because of obscene literature being shared in public. So, and this obscene literature was uh, information about contraceptives. So, and that that was, I think, the Comstock laws, which are still in existence today, that prevent uh, information or, or, well, what's deemed like inappropriate information or uh, images being shared out in public. So, yeah, it's really interesting how in the shadows... It's like birth control, you see, especially in the U.S., you see birth control, especially if it knows your algorithm, you see birth control uh, ads or whatever all the time, like, just take this, and then all the symptoms at the end, it's like, may cause, like, anal scarring, and, like, you'll probably, like, you're you're gonna shake yourself, and then you're gonna die, and women are like, okay, I'll take it, you know, (laughs) because... We don't have a lot of choices, you know, um, and or we don't have a provider sometimes that listens mm-hmm. to whatever choice we want to mm-hmm. make based on, like, look, I'm not the doctor. You're the one that knows the options. This is what my problem is. This is what I have. Like, what would be the best fit? Don't just put me on a lark because it's like this is just what's not going to get you pregnant for five years. Like, no, like I really need to know what's going to work yeah. for my body. Yeah, I wish, I wish science spend a little bit more time and if you yeah. I mentioned in our Instagram this um, show called Pleasure mm-hmm. on Netflix um, and it's really relevant to what we talked about on our last podcast but um, there there's something there's a, a scientist that talks about how only recently in the last 10-15 years has she received a decent amount of funding to be able to really unpack like female pleasure and birth control methods and all of these different things. There's just, I work at a university, a science um, university, and most of the money is going toward tech and toward stroke and heart attack. There's very, very little, yeah, Yeah, chronic diseases. There's very, very little invested in in women's health and specifically around um, like reproductive health. So that's a, also, like, what our society Which places. Makes, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean no, no, but, like, it makes sense, right? Like, I think one of the things that we've been, you know, stating throughout is, like, our bodies as women, like, don't, like, it's like an inconvenience for you to bad your woman. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Right. And I, I think until we get to a place in society where we can value the female body. Yeah. As opposed to it being in competition or comparison to the male body. Right. I don't think that we're going to actually create space for non-binary people or trans people until we can actually reconcile those. Right. Because I think, you know, there's a lot to be said about duality and poles, right? Male, female. We can consider those opposites if we want. Mm. And in between, there's all of these different expressions that are so valuable, so beautiful. But we are only valuing one part of the poll, which is the male body. Mm-hmm. Most research that's been done over time has been focused on how different it is from this kind of, quote, standard male body. Mm-hmm. And 
And I think that that's a problem. And until we get research that's actually values, you know, bodies that bleed, bodies that have a uterus, yeah. bodies that have that form of reproductive of a reproductive system, it's going to be hard, I think, for us to move forward. Yeah. And, you know, what, what research happens is very much based on funding. Yeah. And who wants to fund those things and who has the resources to fund them? What, what grants can you actually get that will recognize the research that you want to do as valid? So when we're looking at this, we always have to think, this is why, you know, indigenous practices are, I believe, so important. Um, but there's not going to be a whole bunch of science around mm -hmm. them because who has the, who has the money, who's going to give the money right. to say that these are, um, you know, research based things. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we didn't talk about anything and everything and all the things mm -hmm. birth control because we don't got the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if we could have gotten as close to it as possible, I think that was it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we definitely <laughs> touched a couple different points. You know, we touched politics. We touched uh, culture. We touched socioeconomic status. We touched um, just like personal narratives um, about birth control. I think if I may kind of summarize I think what our point would be is you know everybody has different needs when it comes to birth control mm -hmm. um, everybody's going to have a different relationship with birth control um, as best as possible and hopefully you have a really good provider but you know have the conversations with your medical provider about what works for you um, and use whether it's hormonal or non-hormonal right because we do have to keep in mind that there are methods that you can use where if hormones are your thing that's cool mm -hmm. but there's something else that you know might be a, a possibility for you uh to be able to use like just make that choice for yourself and educate yourself so that it's hopefully a more positive experience i think that i'm hopeful in terms of the birth control landscape moving forward mm -hmm. um just because you know naturally I'm, I'm hoping that as science progresses, there's more opportunities that are yeah. created for birth control, not just for, you know, women or for um, bodies that have, you know, a uterus or um, a reproductive <coughs> system that needs to have birth control to control for birth. <laughs> <laughs> yep. In a very eloquent way. Mm -hmm. um, but for men too, right? And none of this back massage gel BS because I'm not, I'm not gonna, this is not gonna sit right with Linda. Um, but yeah, anything else you guys want to share to kind of wrap up? I feel like we're in a good space to do that. Yeah, just, you know, know that your, your primary physician is where you need to go first. However, if you don't have access to that, Planned Parenthood is a really great yeah. resource as well as any federally qualified health center yeah. in California. I can't speak on behalf of any other states, but right, in California, right. um, they often will have uh, some sort of system in which you can get birth control and, and reproductive health services for free. Mm -hmm. um, and also I encourage everybody, like Jessica was saying, to look into alternative means. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously when you do do that, grain of salt, because there's a lot, a lot of, 
false information or anecdotal information. So, you know, it is, it's, it takes a lot of research and time. Um, a book that I highly, highly recommend for anybody who owns a uterus um, is called uh, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom by Christian Northup. Uh, Christine Northup. Christian. Christian. Christian Northup. Um, and it keeps getting updated. It's it's freaking huge. It's like, you know, something like a thousand pages or something. But you basically can look up any symptom that you're having and she'll have the sort of traditional or, well, I shouldn't say traditional, those sort of like Western medicine way of uh, dealing with the issue and then some more traditional methods. Um, so, yeah, highly recommend that book. Yeah, I just want to add a little bit that I don't I'll endorse everything that she's been into more recently mm. um but that is a really great resource but just if you tread into other things that she's been a part of to tread lightly with them mm-hmm. um and i also just want to i think the last thing i want to say is you know as someone who has charted her cycles for a long time and used that very successfully as a method of avoiding pregnancy um it takes time yeah, yeah. that is something that really takes time but one of the beautiful outcomes of it is being in touch with your body. Yes. When I go to the doctor now and I'm like, this, these are the things that are wrong. You know, sometimes doctors, I mean, there's, there's literally research statistics that say that doctors do not listen to black women's pain mm-hmm. and black women's symptoms. And so when I can go in and say, nope, I know this because this is different than the last 10 cycles that I've had right because I check my symptoms every single day mm-hmm. it gives me the power to be mm-hmm. able to speak with such clarity yeah. and to push back when they're pushing back on me or they think that whatever I'm talking about isn't as big of a deal I'm like no no I actually know my body right and it has been a big entry point for me for actually being embodied and staying in my body so um i think that even if you you know don't necessarily use it for you know pregnancy avoidance or to conceive just being in touch with like that process of like noticing when my my breasts are more tender noticing Mm -hmm. the how the the frequency of my discharge and the consistency of it like those things can help you and support you in just being more in touch with yourself and I think that that in and of itself has its own benefits Mm -hmm. okay well on that note thank you guys for listening we definitely hope that this was something that was at least insightful if not also helpful for you all and we're excited to um, do this again yeah Thanks for listening. Bye.